And if you're going to stay with us here for the adult class, let's get Habakkuk chapter 3, please. Habakkuk chapter 3, we're continuing on verse by verse. And uh, you might have seen the lesson was announced on YouTube as being verses 3 to 7. I'm not quite sure how far we're going to get. I'm going to aim for verse 7. Maybe I'll get farther than that, maybe not even that far. But as I mentioned last week, this chapter is packed full of information, especially about the second coming of Christ. And I know that you hear me talk about this subject. I mentioned it here and there. It is one of the most prominent themes in the Scripture. When you think of the first coming of Christ, how important was that day, right? Of Jesus dying for us, buried, risen again. We have 48 prophecies about the life, death, burial, resurrection of Christ. 48. And all 48 of them came to pass precisely the way God predicted. So that's impressive. Did you know that there are over 1,000 prophecies about the second coming of Christ? So you, when, when we think about the first coming, that's a great day for us. But the big day on God's calendar is when His Son doesn't come to be crucified, but when His Son comes to be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords and the whole world to fall down at His feet and hear the law of the Lord coming from His mouth, that's the big day. So we're going to take our time and, and try to see as much as we can about the second coming from these verses. So we started last week with verse 2, and now verse 3. It says, God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. Now the word Selah... This is a musical term. If, uh, if you have a hymn book, I'm not sure exactly. I didn't pick a song for it, but you can choose almost any song, and you'll have a rest in the music. I'm looking at page 269. In the chorus, you can see at the end there, there's a rest. So as you, I don't know how familiar you are with reading music, but you have a note, a note, a note, and then a rest. So the, the instruments would drop out. The, even the singing would drop out. That's selah in Hebrew. Right, so musically, that's how that works. But as we read it, and, and you're just meditating on the, the verses that you're reading, you get to the word selah, you stop, and you think, what did I just read? And you kind of digest it. You're going to see that word selah all through the book of Psalms. Many, many times is it used naturally because it's a song book. But that name, coincidentally, also goes with geography. There's a place in the Bible called Petra or Pietra, P-E-T-R-A. The full name is Sila Petra. And that is the exact place in the middle of those seven years of tribulation when the Antichrist begins to persecute the Jews. And we studied that last week. Remember that? Right in the middle of those seven years? The Jews are going to run and hide in the wilderness. We read that in Revelation 12. They go to the place Sila Petra. So when you see that term, selah, almost every single time the verse that it's used with is talking about the tribulation or the second coming, almost every time. So verse 3 is no exception. God came from T-Man. Now sometimes people ask, you know, where'd God come from? I give them this verse. I said, he came from T-Man. And they always look at it and go, really? He came from T-Man? I said, that's what it says. <laughs> now obviously this is not where he was born or created. It's not that kind of a verse. 
this is the Lord Jesus Christ because he is God manifest in the flesh. When he comes back from heaven to the earth, then this is one of the places that he will pass through as he is heading towards Jerusalem and towards the land of Israel to fight this final battle, the battle of Armageddon. So God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Now forgive me, I don't have a, a chart behind me or a map here, but those, those of you that have Bible maps, maybe in the back of your Bible, if you look at the Red Sea, all right, so you can just look, at, find any Bible map with the Red Sea, and then two, the, the Red Sea has bunny ears, right? If you can see my great il, illustrating work here, it has the two bunny ears, okay? If you look at the bunny ear on the east, I think that's the Gulf of Aqaba, maybe that's the other one. Either way, one of those gulfs. If you look at the one on the east or on the right, okay, then look to the right of that bunny ear, it's the land of Midian, the cities of Teman and Paran, they're right on the eastern side of this. Just for the sake of interest, this is where Muhammad really focused a lot of his attention. And this is one of the most holiest places in all of the world for a Muslim. That is actually going to play a part in what we're studying today and what happens at the second coming. Uh, take your Bibles, hold it here, obviously, get Deuteronomy chapter 33, if you would. So when Jesus comes back, we have some indications here and in other places of the path that he will take as he's leaving heaven when he arrives on earth, which cities will he stop at as he's going up into Israel? Now we know that he finishes in Megiddo, right? That's in Revelation 16, the Valley of Megiddo. This is where we get the term Battle of Armageddon. It's linked to Megiddo. That's where he dismounts his horse and begins to stomp on the enemy, all right? That's, and we'll get to the, those verses later. But it appears that the first place he's going to stop, his feet touching down on the earth, it looks like it might be Mount Sinai. Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse number 2. And he said, the Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran. That's what we're reading in Habakkuk. And he came with ten thousands of saints from his right hand went a fiery law for them. Now we know that there's a connection to the history, right, with Moses and Mount Sinai, there is something to be said about that here because that's where the law was given. And of course, God manifested himself on Mount Sinai. But then you have this shining forth from Mount Paran. I don't know of any time that happened in the past. It looks like this is shooting out into the future. And as you read through the rest of this chapter, it's all future. All of it has to do with Israel in, into that tribulation and kingdom time. Right, so it looks like the Lord comes back. Maybe he stops first at Sinai. If he doesn't stop there, definitely at Mount Paran. And then he works his way up from there, from Paran to Teman. And then something you read about in the book of Numbers is called the King's Highway. Now, as you read through the Old Testament, especially through the first five books, you see that Israel came out of Egypt and then walked through the wilderness, right? And 40 years, they circled around, circled around. They weren't supposed to circle for 40 years. They were supposed to go straight from Egypt, marching through the wilderness, right up into the land of Canaan. But of course, they doubted and got punished. But that path they were supposed to take, it was called the King's Highway. Now, that 
interestingly enough, that is the highway that kings in that historical time, they would take that path to march up that land. That is the exact highway that the king of kings is going to take when he comes back. Stretching from the land of Edom down there with Paran, Teman, and then going up right there by Jericho, coming across, passing through Jerusalem, and then up into Megiddo. All right, so come back to Habakkuk chapter 3. All right, so as we see some of these other verses, you'll see the, the, the cities mentioned and the places where he might stop. But I believe that's the connection here. In verse 3, again, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. So Habakkuk is being shown this in a vision. Imagine if the Lord, if you had your eyes closed and he, he played the movie for you, right? And said like a preview, this is what it's going to look like when my son comes back from heaven. And you see where he's where he's stopping, where he's touching down. His, it says in verse 3, His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. It says in Revelation chapter 1, Every eye shall see Him. So this is why the whole earth is filled with His praise, because people are saying, finally, somebody's here to put a stop to all this nonsense. In verse 4, And His brightness was as the light. And it says he had horns coming out of his hand. Okay, for the longest time I've been scratching my head over that. And there was the hiding of his power. It's something to do with what's in his hand. Very, very difficult passage. Hold your place here. Get Revelation chapter 1. Let's see if we can locate this shining and the horns coming out of his hand. Revelation chapter 1. All right, Revelation chapter 1, and let's get verse number 16. This is a description of Jesus. John is seeing him in his current form. This is what he looks like right now today. We tend to picture him, you know, with dark hair and the crown of thorns, and rightfully so. That's, that's what sticks in our mind. But this is what he actually looks like right now. In verse 16, he had in his right hand seven stars. Now, can I just draw your attention to that? Seven stars. Stars produce light, yes? So whenever I was young, and even now, if I draw the sun, you know what I do? I draw the sun, then I have horns coming out the sides of it. If I draw a star, I usually have five little horns, right? I got a star, and then it points to it, little points on the star. Jesus has seven stars in his right hand. Well, Habakkuk says he had horns coming out of his hand. If he's holding seven stars and these beams of light shooting up out of it, I think that would make sense as to why he describes it as having horns coming out of his hand, and there's the hiding of his power. Think of how much power this indicates if you can hold seven stars in your hand. <laughs> that you, you've got to be a, a fairly uh, strong being to hold the stars in your hand. It says further in verse 16, he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. So his face is glowing, if you will, or shining like the sun. Now this is exactly what we saw on the Mount of Transfiguration, isn't it? His clothes were changed and then his face shone like the sun. And interestingly enough, Moses and Elijah showed up. Remember that? On the Mount of Transfiguration? And they begin to speak about his decease, his death, at Jerusalem. 
Well, I read in Revelation that Moses and Elijah are coming back. And you know what they're going to be talking about? Not the death, burial, and resurrection, but the next big thing on Jesus' calendar. At Jerusalem, but his, his uh, conquering, his victory at Jerusalem. All right, so come back to Habakkuk 3. So as best I can tell, when we're reading about the brightness was as the light. That's his face shining like the sun. He had horns coming out of his hand. That's going to be those stars in his hand. And there was the hiding of his power. So it just shows his strength. And forgive me, when it says the hiding of his power, well, he hid it. So I, don't, I can't say a whole lot more about that. I'm not sure how deep that statement actually goes. In verse 5, it says, Before him went the pestilence. Interesting. A pestilence is a pandemic. It's a plague. It's a disease that is spread all over, which is something right on the forefront of all of our minds and every news outlet and all over the internet, everywhere. We're talking about what the Bible calls a pestilence. So let's talk for a moment about it. Let's, let's read all of verse 5 because I think it'll go together. Before him went the pestilence and burning coals went forth at his feet. All right, so we have, we're going to show you some verses about the burning coals in a moment. Let's talk about the pestilence. Come to Matthew chapter 24. Now, I hope it's okay today. We're not getting a whole lot of practical stuff that might nourish the heart, so to speak. We're giving you a little bit more for the head, a little more cerebral this morning. But it never hurts to know your Bible better, amen? I hope this helps because as you read through the Old Testament, because you have over a thousand different prophecies for the second coming, I hope it helps you as you read your Bible to go, that's what it's talking about. This is where it connects. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 7. The disciples of Jesus have asked him, am I dropping out again? Wow. Well, we tried to fix that. Matthew 24 and 7. Jesus' disciples have asked him, what are the signs of your coming and of the end of the world? And he's telling them some of those signs. In verse 7, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences, plural, and earthquakes in diverse places. So all over the place. You won't even be able to predict it. You might even have earthquakes going on in, I don't know, Pachastruam, of all places, which I didn't know to expect that. I think we've had like four or five since I've been living here, which is, has that been a common thing in Poch? Have, have earthquakes always happened here? Did it just start happening when I got here? Is it, did I bring it from America? My bad. Sorry, guys. My bad. My bad. <laughs> so it says pestilences. So guys, COVID is just the beginning of it. And to be perfectly honest, I, I get it, please understand, I'm not trying to make light of something that is real and that is serious. I, I believe that COVID is a thing. I get it that it is a real disease. Many of you have had it. Some of you have lost loved ones to it. So I don't mean to make light of it, but I do want to put it in its proper perspective as best we can. When we think of worldwide pandemics and pestilences and plagues, right, you think of the Black Death you have about 200 million people that passed away in just a short amount of time. It wiped out almost half of Europe at that time. That, that was a huge thing, the Spanish flu. Some of these other uh, plagues, if you will, or pestilences, they did some serious damage. But when you take COVID, what, what's the recovery rate? Something like 99.3 or something like that. There's a massively high recovery rate. I'm not saying that it's not real and it doesn't affect people. I, and I'm not saying we shouldn't take any steps to protect ourselves. Please don't think that this is a political statement in any way, okay? It's not that. But 
This is cer- I, I think most of the fear coming from COVID is generated by the news media. It, it's generated by so many people with their opinions, panicking, going, this has got to be the big thing. And unfortunately, some people are put off from even listening to anything about it. They don't even want to accept that it's true because of the overreaction. Right? So I, I believe that there's truth out there about it. I believe we need to do something about it, but not, not to the extreme that you hear a lot of people going. Now, pestilences is going to play a part in the end times. Come to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. So diseases, as we get further into the end times, one after another. Pestilences, plural. Let me walk you through this quickly. Revelation 6, you have the seals being opened up. This, the first five seals will happen quickly. Seal number 6 happens at the end, right? It is Jesus coming back. And then seal number 7, it talks about the kingdom getting started and so forth. But the first seal, that's the white horse rider. That is the Antichrist bringing peace to the world, okay? And then the red horse rider comes next, verse 4, and it says he takes peace from the earth. That means the white horse rider brought peace because how can he take it if it's not there? So the red horse rider takes it and he brings what would, we would today call World War III. Massive destruction. He has this great sword. Some weapon of mass destruction gets used. As a result of this massive war, you have the fallout from it, which is a worldwide famine. Jesus said, nation against nation, famines in diverse places. So Revelation 6 goes right along with that. So that's verse 5 and verse 6. Because of this massive famine, everybody has to ration out the food, and you have to pay almost a full day's wage for just a a piece of bread, that kind of thing. And then you get verse 7 and 8. Let's read verse 8. I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death. And hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, that's war, and with hunger, famine, and with death, we'll talk more about that now, and with the beast of the earth. So the animals start going a bit crazy. And again, that's maybe a different subject for another time. Now it says with death. How do you kill people with death? Well, the word death is used interchangeably with plague or pestilence. So I just mentioned it earlier, the bubonic plague, one of its names was the Black Death. You see, so instead of saying plague, you can say death. So what you have here is war, famine, and disease. And with those things, a fourth of the earth perishes. A fourth of the earth. Put that into its context, there's about, what, seven billion people in the world? Seven billion plus? A fourth of that, we're talking what, one, 1. 1.8, something like that, billion people? That's like India, gone. China, gone. That's, that's massive to wipe out that many people. All right, come to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. So in the beginning of the tribulation time, peace is set up. Not too long after that, peace is taken away. This world war breaks out. Because of that, you have famine and you have disease running rampant. That makes sense, though, doesn't it? If you've dropped, let's say, a nuclear bomb somewhere, it's going to upset the, it's going to upset the environment. 
It's going to limit people's ability to treat, you know, uh, in like a triage hospital setting. They're not going to get proper care. And then the crops are going to be uh, affected. So you have famine, you have disease running rampant. Now this, what we're reading here, is at the end of the seven years. Verse 1, I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome. Noisome is, is like saying annoying. A noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. And so you have this noisome and grievous sore. Now we're not quite sure what that sore will be. Some have said it might be like leprosy breaking out, just ma- huge lesions in the skin breaking forth. That's the type of sore you're, you're dealing with. Now as, you, as the rest of the vials get poured out, you have the water turning to blood. The, the sun, it, it burn, it, I want to say it burns even stronger, but the heat of the sun is intensified and it scorches people. And then you have the power grid somehow all all over the earth the power grids are affected and they lose power you can see verse number nine and men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of god watch this phrase which hath power over these plagues plagues pestilences god is allowing these diseases to take hold of mankind for they and they repented not to give him glory and the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast that's the antichrist and his kingdom was full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues for pain so there's massive heat they cannot find any drinkable water because it's been turned to blood the power grid is somehow knocked out it's it's happening everywhere the whole world feels our pain finally and, and the, all the men are blaspheming, blaming him, saying, you could stop all this. And they don't realize that they are being punished for their treatment of Christ and their treatment of, the, of his people, of Christians. Now, this brings us back to Habakkuk, where he said, God, please revive us in the midst of the years. Help us to see why we're going through all these problems. Help us to see that it's our fault. Do you see over and over in Revelation, they're being punished, 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 and they don't repent. They, they blaspheme God. They blame God instead of saying, God, it's our fault. We did it. We brought this on ourselves. Now, I'm going to ask you to hold on to Revelation 16, okay, and just flip back to Habakkuk 3 because we're coming right back to Revelation. Let me remind you what we read. Verse 5, before him went the pestilence. So before Jesus comes, disease spreads all over the earth. Now, we don't have the particulars of what kind of disease or anything like that, but it just says that it's going to happen. And burning coals went forth at his feet. So here's Jesus coming back and these burning coals. You're going to see in Revelation, they're linked to hailstones. And then I'm going to show you in the book of Psalms where both things go together. So come back to Revelation 16 and get verse 21. Revelation 16, verse 21. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. So these hailstones, in Revelation 8, it talks about the hailstones coming down with fire. So these are burning coals, 
hailstones falling down from from the heavens. As Jesus is coming back, because that's what you're reading here at the end of the chapter, Jesus is coming back, the earth is being pelted by these hailstones, and each one weighs about a talent. Now, guys, there are different measurements for this. There's the Greek measurement for a talent, the Roman measurement. There's the, the, everybody has their own little weighing system here. But in biblical times, the weight of a talent was approximately 25 kgs. Let that sink in for a second. The weight of that stone falling from heaven and it's on fire, like, like that matters at this point, you know. If it's 25 kgs coming down at you, who cares if it's on fire? It's hurtling down at you, and can you, no wonder people are saying, oh my goodness, look at chapter 6. God, please hide us from this. Chapter 6, verse 16. <clears throat> hey, forgive me, let's, get maybe a few verses before that. Verse uh, 13, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth. I'm guessing that has something to do with those hailstones and coals of fire. Maybe it's little pieces of meteorite. Maybe, maybe. It says, the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. Was that a good idea? When it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. Why would they do that? The earth is shaking. In the midst of a horrible earthquake, you probably don't want to hide in a cave. I'm not a professional at this, but I don't think I want to be trapped in a cave during an earthquake. Why are they going into the caves? Because outside, 25 kgs a pop is coming down. So they say our best chance is to hide in the cave. Verse 16, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? So we're starting, the pieces of the puzzle are starting to come together. We, through Habakkuk, we are filling in the picture of what it looks like at the end. No wonder Habakkuk prayed and, and heard this and said, God, I'm, I'm scared. I'm trembling in my heart when I think about what you're going to do. So come back to Habakkuk 3 now. Or, well, yeah, you can, you can hold Habakkuk. Get Psalm chapter 18. Let me show you that part as well. Psalm chapter 18. Psalm 18 is one of those salient chapters in the Bible. It is filled with relevant information, right, to every other part. It seems to connect to everything. Let's read the part that connects to what we're studying this morning. Let's start at verse number 7, Psalm 18, 7. Then the earth shook and trembled. Now, you just read a verse in Revelation 6 where the mountains and islands fall, right? The islands fall into the sea, the mountains are flattened. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down. And darkness was under his feet. Now this is talking, I believe, about the cloud on which he is going to 
for lack of a better term, ride as he comes back. Verse 10, and he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. I don't want to get sidetracked in talking about this cherub and how it's part of the chariot. We're going to study the chariots in a a moment as well, or maybe even next week, who knows. Verse 11, and he made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. So you read in Revelation, you read in Matthew, where Jesus says he's going to come with clouds. So picture now the world looking up at the sky and this bright beam of light shooting down through it, but everything around it is just darkness. Because Jesus is moving so fast, everything is getting sucked into his jet stream. That is why the heavens get rolled together like a scroll. So when you have the heavens being rolled together, the light that is shined into that, sorry, into that allergy, sorry. When the light is being sucked into that pathway, it no longer shines down to the earth. It gets sucked into that jet stream. All you can see is is the brightness coming from his face as he's coming down. Everything around him, everything else looks dark. In verse 12, at the brightness that was before him, his thick clouds passed, hailstones and coals of fire. So David also got a glimpse of this event. And as he describes it, he says, I can see hailstones and coals of fire coming down. Verse 13, the Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them. And he shot out lightnings and disconfided them. So Jesus now, he's throwing, you know the old, it's kind of like a mythological thing where the gods up in the heavens are throwing down lightning bolts. In the second coming, there are lightning bolts coming down. When you talk about every natural disaster you can imagine, earthquakes, tsunami, uh, tsunami, tsunamis, that's not English, <laughs> tsunamis, the, the hurricanes, the winds are blowing, the earth is shaking, lightning striking, the sun is hotter than ever, plagues, pestilence, famine, everything that can go wrong is going to go wrong. Verse 15, it says, then the channels of waters were seen. The channels were seen. So the water is knocked out of them. And you can see the riverbeds, if you will. You're going to see that in Habakkuk just now. Then the channels of waters were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke. The foundations are discovered because everything gets turned upside down. When you have an earthquake of this magnitude and volcanoes going off, then the earth, what's under the surface now is coming up, and, and the mountains are being flattened, so it's all kind of getting mixed up and turned over. It says in verse 15, The foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. And then it kind of shifts after after that. David pivots. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. And then it goes on to talk about how God will protect Israel in that horrible time. All right, so come back to Habakkuk now. Let's continue studying there. Habakkuk 3, verse number 6. It says here, he stood and measured the earth. He stood and measured the earth. Now, from what I've read here, in verse like 3, he came from T-Man. He's already back on the earth, and Jesus, at some point, it appears that he stands and he begins to measure. 
Now, this is a bit cryptic. We don't have a lot of information about this measuring. There's no other real prophecies that I know about that talks about Jesus taking time to measure. Let me give you a cross-reference for what I think is is happening here. Come to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 8. 2 Samuel chapter 8. You're going to see this is not just Jesus or David. Many of the kings of this time would do this. 2 Kings chapter 8, let's begin reading in verse 1. All right, 2 Kings, I'm sorry, I said 2 Samuel, forgive me, 2 Samuel. Forgive me, 2 Samuel chapter 8 verse 1. And it says here, After this it came to pass that David smote the Philistines and subdued them, and David took Methagama out of the hand of the Philistines, and he smote Moab, and measured them with a line, casting them down to the ground. Even with two lines measured he to put to death, and with one full line to keep them alive. And so the Moabites became David's servants and brought gifts. Now, this is the best cross-reference I can, I can show you, that when he came in to conquer this enemy land, he measures it out and says, all right, these two sections finished, the third one will spare it could be that Jesus is doing something similar, to stand and measure the earth and say, okay, this, these lands, these countries, done. And it may not be the people that, he's, that we're necessarily reading about here. Because we know, come back to Habakkuk 3, verse 6, the map is going to change. Just like it did in the days of Noah. What did Jesus say? As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. After the events of Noah's day, the worldwide flood, An ice age had to have followed right after that. And the world, the map of the world, must have changed. The idea of a continental drift, I believe that happened. At least I think there's biblical evidence. I think there's scientific evidence of it happening. It happened much quicker than I think the modern uh, scientists would say, but I think it did happen. But the map changed. So the maps pre-Noah look very different. It probably looked like, I think the term is a Pangea, just one body of land surrounded by water. But then after the events of Noah, everything is spread out. But after the events of the second coming, when you have not hurricanes, but hypercanes and underwater volcanoes going off all over the world, and as we've been seeing, all this destruction, mountains flattening and islands falling, I think Jesus is measuring it out going, okay, we're going we're gonna to set this right. Let's turn back the dial and let's, let's redo the map. So it could be this isn't something he's doing against the people, but rather against the land. In uh, Habakkuk 3 verse 6, he stood and measured the earth and beheld, or he beheld and drove asunder the nations and the everlasting mountains were scattered. Now, the reason he would call them everlasting is not because mountains were meant to last eternally. Everlasting mountains, that's a human term. When we look at a mountain, when I came to South Africa, the Mount, uh, Table Mountain was there. And all things being equal, when I die or rapture happens, Table Mountain will still be there, right? From generation to generation, the mountains stand, but we don't. So we call them everlasting mountains because they just keep going and going. But one day, the perpetual hills and the everlasting mountains flee away. They get knocked down. So the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. 
So we, we look at the mountain, we look at the hills and say, man, they're, they're so strong, they'll never get knocked down. And he says, yeah, but I'm the God that can move mountains. When I step on the scene, the hills bow down to me. I don't bow down to the hills. I don't worship the mountains, they worship me, which is a terrific sight. And if you've noticed, any time that Jesus moved about, nature was keen to do this kind of thing, right? He showed his power over nature. When the winds and waves are whipping about, he can stand up and say, calm down. If we read about it all the time in the Old Testament where God can make the sun and the moon stand still, and you're going to see it in Habakkuk 3, his power over nature. In verse 7, I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. All right, Cushan, this is the only time, if I remember correctly, you're going to find that word in, in Scripture. But you do find the word Cush, C-U-S-H. You find that in other places. That's Ethiopia. So many people have linked the tents of Cushan to Ethiopia, which would make sense. They're in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. This is very close to where, well, it is exactly where Muhammad uh, ruled over the people back when he was alive uh, for some time, very close to Mecca, down in that area, all right? What it appears to be in verse 7 because verse 7 never happened in the Old Testament in the days of Moses and Joshua. People try to take these events and read it back into the time of Moses and Joshua. Some of these things will fit, but not all of them. And this is one of those verses, the, the tents of Midian, the land of Midian, did not tremble when Israel marched through. They didn't go down there. This has to be something in the future. Now, since the days of Muhammad, the people of Islam have been against the Jews. They always have been. And if you've read the Quran, you know why. In the Quran, it specifically tells them in Surah 5, you cannot be friends with Christians and Jews. I mean, there's a verse that flat out states that. Now, they have reasons for that, but in, in some of their other writings, they say that Jews are simply, uh, <laughs> this is very, very mean the way that they put this, but that God cursed the Jews and have turned them into monkeys. Now, I, obviously, I don't, that's not in the Quran, that's in some of their other religious writing. That never right, physically happened, but that tells you what they think of Israel. And for many centuries, Islam has wanted to wipe Israel off the map. And, complete, and that's why there's no peace in the Middle East, by the way. Now, without making this all political, let's just turn to what we have in verse 7. Here are these people that are strongly against Israel and strongly against the idea of a Messiah coming back to save them. And here comes the King of Kings, yes, but also the King of the Jews. And the Muslims then find out, uh-oh, he's not for us, he's against us. We had it wrong. And as, as he's passing through that region first, they might think, well, the Messiah is here, now he's going to deliver us, help us, and then they find out we're under his wrath and his punishment, and that's why I think they feel that affliction, and they begin to tremble because they realize for 14, it'd be now, 1,400 years, we've had it wrong, and we have been against, the Bible calls Israel the apple of God's eye. Well, if you've been fighting against them for 1,400 years, and now you found out we were wrong, you would certainly start to tremble at that point. All right, so next week, we'll pick it up again. You'll see in verse 8, was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Remember there in Psalm 18, they saw the channels where the water had been knocked out. You can see the riverbed. All of that is going to play into it. We'll pick that up and study all that next week. Okay, let's all stand if you would.
I said today nothing was really practical, just trying to give you these details about the second coming of Christ and what leads up to it. Father, thank you for allowing us to have this information. Lord, we can see the seriousness of it through the, through the measures that you are going to take to set the world right. Lord, we, we don't want to be on the wrong side of this. We don't want to be there when the wrath of the Lamb is manifested. We, we want to take the mercy and the grace that's available to us today. Father, we pray you bless our fellowship together and the sermon to come. Please meet with us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's take a break. <laughs>